Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Toward Wholeness podcast. This is where you'll find next steps in your journey to wholeness in spirit and soul and body. It just snowed here about a foot, and so you may hear a little audio background noise of a snowblower coming by. It's a couple of days before Thanksgiving at the time of recording, and uh, winter is here. So if you hear that, don't worry. We're just going to keep the conversation going. But I'm your host, Richard Dahlstrom. It's a joy to have you listening with us today as we're continuing a series in this Toward Holders podcast on the subject of the body. As you recall, the Apostle Paul's benediction at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5 is that we would be made whole and devoted to our Creator in spirit and soul and body. I believe that Paul understood stewarding and caring for the body is a vital part of our calling as Christ followers. If we're to display the fruit of the Spirit, kind of that love and joy and peace and patience widely and pour hope out of the world, we will be severely limited in our capacity to do that if our blood sugar is always low or dysregulated or if we have what's called metabolic syndrome or if our sleep patterns are disrupted because if I don't bring my best stewarded body to the table, then I'm going to have a very difficult time presenting myself well. And so this is why we've been talking about the body. It says in Romans 8 that the spirit gives life to the mortal body. And the desire then for us in these particular podcasts is that we would listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us about caring for our body. And so we've listened to uh, Lisa regarding nutrition, and we've listened to Bob regarding cardiology and the heart. And today, we're really privileged to listen to Kevin regarding uh, movement and exercise, in a sense. Kevin Rindall is a chiropractor. He's had a private practice in Seattle since 2012, and also has been a chiropractor to world-class athletes who have won gold medals. And so it's just a joy to have Kevin with us. And I can testify to his capacity as a chiropractor. I came to him a few years ago with a calf injury from over-exercising. And uh, Kevin cared for my knee and my calf and really my whole body in a, in a really solid way to get me back literally up and running. And so that was beautiful. And Kevin now is also the owner and CEO of Vimosity. This is a company that brings... Olympic quality preventative medicine and equipping for everyone into the workforce so that uh, people can stay healthy at work and beyond work into their lives. And I'll let, you, I'll let Kevin tell you a little bit more about that. So Kevin, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of what I know for you is a very busy and full schedule to meet with us today. It's a joy to have you with us. Yeah, I so appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation, Richard. And just for your stewardship, uh, for our family, for over two decades, being a part of Bethany, and you've just played a really uh, important role in our spiritual development and the conversations that, uh, you know, we have internally as a family and as we build our business that is, you know, focused on helping others live into their true self. you played a critical role in that. And so super grateful and happy to have this conversation. Thanks so very much. And, uh, you know, as we begin here, I just want to share a little bit of my kind of story, if you will, and then followed up with a question from you about my own faith journey as it relates to the body. I, uh, I grew up in a Baptist background, and we talked about prayer. We talked about Bible study. 
we we talked about worship. We talked about witness and you know actively sharing our faith with other people. We talked about sexual ethics and morality and financial stewardship and and uh, stewarding our spiritual gifts. But not a word, and I'm not exaggerating, not a single word about caring for the body. Nothing about sleep. Nothing about food choices. Uh, and in fact, sometimes, if anything, uh, what I what I seemed to the message I received anyway was, "Hey, you know what? The body's temporary, wasting away. It's going to die. So, subtext: Who cares? Right? Uh, eat what you want, exercise or don't, because the only kind of the only thing that matters is the spirit. When I went to seminary, I I kind of put that whole line of thought into a category that theologians call Gnostic dualism. And this is this idea that the spirit is kind of elevated above the physical realm. And therefore, praying is more important than running. Being a pastor is more important than being a chiropractor. Um, fasting is more important than feasting, et cetera, et cetera. And then people develop kind of this suspicion of the body. But the fruit of that was looking around and, and seeing people who knew their Bibles really well, but were dealing with all kinds of um, health issues that weren't related to, you know, normal aging and, and the inevitable decay of the body that Paul speaks of, but, but were really related to stewardship, like living on, you know, sodas and fast food and French fries and not taking care of diet, not exercising, not practicing good kind of sleep hygiene and those kind of things. And, and then being, you know, less able to be present, even in a conversation, let alone, you know, a meeting or a, or a sermon that somebody had to give. So I kind of, I've always been noodling on this notion of how does the body integrate to faith? And so I'm interested in, because of your profession as a chiropractor, asking you, how your faith is kind of related to this notion of stewardship of the body. So go ahead. Yeah, no, I love that question. And when you think about Jesus, he was, he was pretty focused on helping people with their physical ailments. I mean, a huge part of his, his ministry was, you know, helping people unlock pain, unlock some type of physical dysfunction in their life so that they could have the space for spiritual transformation. And, you know, my area of specialty, as you described, is more musculoskeletal, so the muscles, joints, pain, things like that. But one of the things that I was drawn to and the reason why I went into to the profession that I went into is I just saw how pain impacted people's quality of life and their ability to, you know, live out their true identity. I mean, pain is such a huge distraction. And I mean, there's so much research now that shows that when you're in pain, your brain doesn't function normally. Like it, it's, you're in fight or flight mode. And I mean, you sit through any Bible study, what's the number one prayer request? It has, it's almost always like some type of physical ailment or it's something that, uh, you know, a family member that's impacted. And so, uh, a huge part of um, my faith journey and then also being able to integrate that into my day-to-day -day work and my vocation has been how do I, um, you know, leverage the tools, the gifts, the interests that God has given me to, to bring physical healing to other people so that that can be a conduit for spiritual growth or spiritual 
um, awakening in their life. So, yeah, that's a big part of, um, I would say, my faith journey. That's a, that's a really good word. So why do you think there's this propensity to, and I don't want to sound pejorative toward prayer because prayer is super valuable, but why is there a propensity to run to prayer with, without asking, you know, I wonder if uh, changing my diet would also help. Does, does that make sense as a question? Like, why do you think that happens? Sure. Well, I, you know, we live in this, this new era of uh, where I would say that the environment is not our friend. I mean, in, in years past and through most of human history, in order to survive physicality and working and moving, all those things were just part of your life. We weren't exposed to, you know, chemicals and pesticides and uh, all these uh, contaminants. And so it's one of those things that I think our environment, um, it's a, it's a more challenging to live a whole life and um, for that wellness to be a part of it. And so you do actually have to work at it a lot more than you used to just because your daily life didn't involve working in the garden. So um, I do think that there's probably the perception, like you said, that if you're focused on your body, you're, you know, internally focused, but I really see that that stewardship of your body uh, and helping yourself be able to, you know, not spend most of your day in doctor's offices or dealing with ailments. If, you, if there are ways that you can invest in your overall health, it does allow you to focus more on the spiritual aspect. So I, I see that direct connection. It's, it's an investment. And like you said, it's a stewardship opportunity to me. Something that I um, say sometimes in preaching is I'll, I'll kind of fire off a list of things and I'll say, not, this is not normal, right? And so I go, you know, mass shooting in schools, not normal. But then I get into a lot of health things sometimes. Having light after the sun goes down till midnight, not normal. Video games, not normal. Sitting and watching TV, not normal. Not taking 10,000 steps a day, not just not normal, not the way our body is made uh, to function, right? And so we, we live in a world where, as you say, not only are there all those pollutants that kind of uh, make uh, eating healthy food a necessity, but there's also this uh, kind of superb invitation to uh, not move, right? I, I'm in my car, I drive to my office, I sit at my desk, I walk to the bathroom, I walk to the coffee break where I, I might have a soda or whatever, or another coffee. I get back to my desk, I get back in my car, I come home, there's a TV, and if I'm not careful, uh, my normal becomes uh, uh, this kind of static, immobile state. And when I look at uh, the world of Jesus, I go, wow, uh, these guys walked from village to village. And, and yeah, they sat down sometimes. He sat down for teaching or whatever. But, but they were walking all the time. And even when they were sitting, so often it wasn't in chairs. They were sitting on the floor, you know. And, and so their normal uh, didn't mandate a call to 30 minutes of aerobic exercise a day. Because it was kind of, you couldn't not do it. There were no cars. There were no chairs. 
and so people were already moving. Now, you know, we have to move. But then I think for Christians uh, and, and, you know, for Christ followers, they've got to struggle with, okay, well, if sitting all the time isn't normal, like how do I define normal? So if you're working with a client or, or you know, uh, I, you can tell us a little bit about what you do with industry as well, but maybe you're working with a company, how do you help me define what normal is? Do I have to be like CrossFit fit with a pulse of four, wrestling pulse of 45? Like how can I make peace with my body and, and, and grab a new vision of normal? Yeah. And that's such a great point. A fantastic book that came out a couple years ago is uh, called Exercise by Daniel Lieberman. He's a PhD. He was the one, if you've ever heard uh, the term sitting is the new smoking, he yes, I have, um, yeah. was the one who originally put out some of that research. And he actually brings better context to that, um, that statement because it kind of got taken, taken out of context right, right as it came out. But I mean, his whole thesis goes back to what I was just describing that like you really do have to work anymore to, to even get the minimum amount of physical activity during the day, which, you know, the Surgeon General would say would be 30 minutes of brisk walking per day is essentially the equivalent. And a majority of Americans uh, don't even get that per day just because like you described, you go from one spot to the next spot to a desk, to a chair, to a couch. And that's just that's just the way that our day flows. But the fascinating thing and what he brings together is that pretty much the top five chronic diseases that Americans suffer with the most. So like heart disease, cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes, cancer, all those things are positively impacted by physical activity. I mean, uh, the American College of Sports Medicine actually came out with a campaign called Exercises Medicine. And, and the whole point is that you your best bang for your buck is is at least 30 minutes of, of physical activity per day and that could just be you know going out and going for a walk or working in the garden so it, the bar is pretty low but again there just, there's just so much friction to actually being able to to incorporate that into your lifestyle what i've also noticed is that a lot of people are adverse to exercise exercise um, brings up shame it brings up negative connotations and and so it's kind of a loaded word and people like immediately think, man, I've, I've got to sweat. I've got to run. Like it, it has to be like that. And it, it doesn't have to be that way. So as we, you know, engage with the workforce, what we've really tried to, to do is, is help promote movement as a lifestyle. So we call it movement health. So it's, it isn't just, you know, exercising, but it's also, what are you doing to take care of your muscle and your joint health on a daily basis? Kind of like brushing and flossing your teeth, but doing it for your muscles and joints because we aren't necessarily taught how to do those things. And I mean, our formula is pretty simple. It's, it's breathing, which I mean, people are like, what does breathing have to do with anything? And it's, it's like, even the name of God is breathing in and breathing out. It's an inhale and exhale. Like, uh, but that's where our core of our core is. It's the oxygen that um, provides nourishment to, you know, every cell in our body. Rolling out your muscles, so actually utilizing something. And I know that Richard, you and I talked about how you could roll out like your calf muscle. And it just, again, it's a way to deliver oxygen and nourishment to um, to those muscles. And then 
more of a dynamic movement to take your joints through full range of motion. And so uh, that will breathe move is the formula that we teach people. And, and what we found is that that's a gateway for a lot of people just to learn the fundamentals of how they can invest in their movement health. And then they start to open up to, Hey, you know what? I'm actually feeling a little bit better. My knee's not as cranky when I'm trying to go for a walk and now I can take my dog for a walk. And it, it just starts to, to open up these opportunities for people to feel more comfortable with movement, which then oftentimes encourages them to invest in more of the, the traditional exercises we would um, assume. But I, I see a huge connection between, again, movement health and overall health. We're starting uh, to realize that that's like another vital sign that we probably need to be checking, not just heart rate, blood pressure, all those other things, but what does your movement health look like? Because it's such a gateway to some of these other areas of health. That's super. Um, I think I have two follow-up questions, and they and they they will uh, flow to the ends of the spectrum of the of the kind of people you might work with. First of all, I know if you're working with industry, then um, within your classroom, there are going to be people. I mean, you've already addressed it a little bit. There's the shaming point, uh, and the word exercise is a bit of a loaded term. But there are people who are just like supremely unmotivated, right? And when I'm when I'm trying to teach people other disciplines, spiritual disciplines, pray, fast, meditate, what I'm learning is unless someone has bought into a why, it's hopeless. Like mm -hmm. they like they may do it because they're paying me or because they're part of the church. They think, oh, I should do this because the pastor said to do it. But in terms of it being a sustainable transformative event, everyone who finds it sustainable, ultimately motivated by a, a compelling why, right? Mm -hmm. So my first question is, is the exercise averse, exercise phobic, how, like how do you motivate them? What do you do? Yeah. So number one, I think it all comes back to the what's in it for me. You have to tie it back to something that they care about. And I mean, if you have grandchildren and you want to keep up with them, if you enjoy fishing or hiking or traveling, like every single activity that people want to engage in is enhanced by the ability to move well. I mean, I grew up in Skagit Valley and I mean, everyone in my family was a farmer, fisherman or a logger. And I vividly remember my grandfather, 65 years old. I mean, he could hardly put his shoes on in the morning. I mean, he just didn't have the range of motion in his hip. And so like watching him struggle to put on his socks and shoes, that that stands out to me as a 10 year old kid mm. thinking about that. And I mean, he was a, a pipe fitter and then raised cattle on the side. And by the time I was 10, he stopped going out to the barn with us and taking, you know, just interacting with us as grandchildren because pain really impacted his yeah. desire to do things. And so like when we're teaching this stuff to, I mean, oftentimes we're working with utility workers and right. construction workers and people, I mean, most of the time you walk into a room and people have their arms crossed. They're like, why am I here? And, you know, they're just totally tuned out. But when you take it back to that bigger why, the what's in it for me, and how does this relate to your overall quality of life? I've never met somebody who, you know, when, when they put it in that perspective, doesn't want to take action. And what I've found is a lot of the people who are most resistant to 
you know, the, the concepts that we are presenting, they also are in a lot of pain. And so they're pretty skeptical and they also believe that there's kind of no hope. Like this is the, my lot in life. This is the way it's always going to be. Why would I even try something? And so when, when people, you know, start to have the door open to see the possibility that, oh, actually, maybe I could actually feel better. So it, like when we teach this, we'll actually have people roll their muscles and they're like, wow, in 30 seconds, my knee's moving better than it's moved in 10 years. Okay, there's something to it. And so you have to also provide this aha moment that breaks people's perception that this is the way that it's always going to be. And then the third step is helping people understand that they're worth investing in. When when you're sidelined because of pain and you can't interact with people, kind of like the story with my grandfather, it impacts everyone around you. It impacts your relationships. You're shorter with your spouse. You, you know, grumpier around your coworkers, your your kids. And so like, I mean, our tagline, and this is what we say with every single person, like you're inv- you are worth investing in. And I think there's a lot of people that don't believe that they are worth investing in. So there has to be that belief that, you know what, I matter. I have an identity that I'm bringing to this world. And when I feel better and can be more engaged, it's a fuller expression of who I am. And so, so we really try to yeah, break some of those, uh, those myths that people have and also help them realize that they are worth investing in. You know, I love that you use the word identity because uh, in this whole kind of spiritual body paradigm, the foundational piece is identity, right? Like, do I believe that I'm made with a purpose? And, and, and then do I believe that, like, I have unique gifts to give to the world? And if the answer to those two questions is yes, then I'm way more motivated to make sure I bring the best version of myself to the table when I'm going to be, uh, you know, present with, with people. So I know you and I were just at an event recently uh, where I was speaking and it's a little 10 minute talk, but when I speak in front of strangers, my stress level goes way, way, way higher than when I'm just having a conversation. I think like I am with you right now. And I have one of those, you know, watches with a heart monitor and stuff. And so just before I get up to go speak, I look at my heart monitor, my pulse is way elevated. And then to kind of, to your point, I slow my breathing down a little bit. And then I get up and I go speak and I'm still nervous, but it's just a little bit of a stewardship thing that I've learned when I'm, when I'm doing a postmortem on the event, I go, I must've really believed in what I had to say because I wanted to have my best self present to say it. So then I slow my breathing down and, you know, I also didn't have a, you know, a bunch of alcohol before I spoke, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you bring your best self to the table? But if I don't believe that I have anything to give, that's a huge preventative. Like I, now I don't have the motive to, to, to make the movement and to steward the body. The other end of the spectrum to me uh, are people who are kind of CrossFit obsessed or mountaineering ex- obsessed or skiing obsessed there's almost a body idolatry that goes, if I, if I'm killing it with my body, everything else is going to take care of itself. So from, from your chair, uh, the chair of your profession, I should say, 
the presenting problem is going to be overuse injuries and overtraining. From my chair, it's going to be, oh, like your identity is your, your uh, capacity to run a marathon in under three hours. Well, what's going to happen if you get in an automobile accident and blow your knee out or whatever? There's a sweet spot between body shaming and body idolatry. You probably see both ends of the spectrum. One is too motivated in a way. One is un- utterly unmotivated. How do you move people who are uh, overtraining, overusing, to dial it back and find that sweet spot? Yeah, that's such a good question. And, you know, I have been fortunate enough to see both ends of the spectrum. Uh, I spent 15 years working with the United States Olympic uh, Committee as part of the U.S. Women's Ice Hockey Team, uh, the U.S. Swim Team for 10 years. And so, you know, you're working with people whose entire profession is to perform at a certain level. And, you know, you have to be obsessed. You're, you're constantly walking like a tightrope in terms of overtraining but not training enough. And I mean, you think about the how audacious their goals are to be the best in the world of all time at their event. It's, it's pretty remarkable to think about that. And so, um, so I definitely see that. But what I have observed is, you know, a lot of those athletes, they have a really tough um, transition when it comes to retirement. I mean, we see that in professional sports all the time. People uh, resisting hanging up the cleats when it's probably time. And I think you're exactly right. It, it comes back to that identity. And, you know, there's a big difference between saying I am an athlete versus I am athlete. And yes. when, when your identity is so caught up in that activity, it, um, yeah, it, it can really be destructive at a certain point because there's, there's no end to pushing yourself and punishing yourself <laughs> to try to, to reach that next level. Um, and people are wired differently. Like if you're at that level, you're, you're constantly pushing. And I mean, there's a certain amount of pleasure that you gain from pushing hard. I mean, there are endorphins and all these things, but then to your point, there's also this, this middle group who might be obsessed with marathon training and hitting certain goals. And I think that's so healthy. I mean, I've, I've personally done a lot of that. Like I love running marathons and I've done several Ironmans and it's, it's always, uh, you know, it's always a balance of how do I keep things in perspective and the main things, the main things. Um, and so again, honestly, I think everything comes back to identity. Like what am I trying to prove by hitting these certain goals? And is it worth being away from my kids? Right. So I can go out on a three, three hour run um, because I'm so obsessed by that goal. So I, I think, you know, the big question is, you know, how is that impacting who you are as a person? What are you really trying to, are you feel unworthy? So you have to prove yourself. Like what are, what are the bigger questions behind that and how that's impacting your identity? But I mean, for me personally, like my wife, Dana, I mean, she'll sometimes tell me, Hey, Kevin, I think you need to go for a run right now because <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a better, better dad and husband and, everything when, when I do exercise on a regular basis, that's my normal. So I think there, there's kind of that in between is, but it, again, comes back to, you know, what are the priorities and, and how is that, you know, filling your cup in terms of you being walking in that true identity? Man, there's so much that I'd look, I'd like to say. I mean, I think uh, echoing what you say, I don't run marathons and I, and I, I'm not as active as I once was, I would say too, as well. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit age. I don't know. 
But I also know that if I don't do like moderate exercise on a day, 30 minutes to an hour where my heart's, you know, in that aerobic zone or whatever, if I don't do that, I don't sleep as well. I just don't. And then if I don't sleep as well, then the next morning I wake up hungrier than I ought to be. Then I don't eat, make good food choices. And there's kind of this cascading effect so that I'm motivated to, you know, look at my day and go, okay, I want to move in this moment. So I echo that. We got to find that spot. I also think that, you know, in the Bible, there is this kind of the way, not just the Bible, the, the whole, all of creation, there's day and there's night. There's, there's uh, six years of work and a sabbatical year for the fields. There's give your horses a day off kind of thing. There's this, there's this rhythm of, you know, work and rest. And in the Bible, the work was aerobic work. You're hauling wood or you're leading the cattle or you're plowing the field, you know, by hand or with an animal, but it's, you're out, you're doing stuff as a rhythm of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. And, and it feels like with all these gifts that God has given us, and I think, of, I think of food, sex, and exercise as three huge kind of bodily gifts, right? They're intended to be gifts. Exercise is a gift. I mean, it's like you say, our body rewards us with endorphins and not to mention all the anti-aging stuff that goes on, you know, but you got to be in that sweet spot. If you're too far toward sedentary, you pay a price. And if you overtrain, you pay a price. And similarly, you know, here's sex as a gift. And instead, we have kind of the shame culture often in the evangelical community and this completely indulgent culture in, in the larger structure of society, often anyway, that results in sexual abuse and pornography addiction and all that stuff. And food is intended to be a gift. And then, you know, you have overeating and anorexia and diet wars, you know, paleo versus vegetarian versus vegan versus, you know, high carb and, and all kinds of arguments internally so that it leaves a layperson super confused. But I think like the Christ follower has to, has to go, these are all gifts. Sex is a gift. Food is a gift. Moving my body is a gift. Now I'm called to steward those gifts, certainly to enjoy them because they're gifts but I got to steward them. And so I wonder if people who don't move, you're trying to encourage them to move. People who have obsession and are, you know, I came, in fact, I remember I came to you because uh, having not run for three years, I just said, well, I'm going to do this run because it's going to be on this thing called the Alaskan Ray Viaduct before they tear it down in Seattle. And I went out and I'm at, I'm at Green Lake, a popular running trail in Seattle. And I'm looking at my watch and I'm going too slow. And I'm like, boom, this is unacceptable. I'm going to speed up. And then my calf popped and then my knee twisted. And then I was injured, you know, from ego, basically. So like finding that sweet spot is the thing. So if anyone's listening, they could be on one side or the other. What would, what would you encourage people as the next step to find the sweet spot? Yeah, I always think back to chemistry classes. And do you remember when you have to you used to do titration where you yeah. let out just the perfect amount and, you know, you do one drop at a time. And I, and I just, I think that there's this temptation in life, um, kind of like what you described where, you know, maybe you're like, oh, man, I need to get on the bandwagon. I mean, we're going to see this 
100% like at the start of the new year, there's going to be a ton of people who experience overuse injuries because they set their new year's resolution and they're all in and they don't work up to it. Um, you know, CrossFit, love CrossFit. I think it can be an awesome way for people to get in shape, but it also became one of my biggest practice builders uh, for about a decade of people <laughs> tearing up their shoulders and their bodies because they jumped into you know pretty intense activity over um, you know a short period of time. So again, I think it it all comes back to giving yourself a lot of grace and just saying you know this is this is a process and soreness after hard workout it's a great thing. But if you just keep doing it day in and day out. And to your point, don't allow that recovery to happen and you jump in too fast. It, it really starts to derail things. And that's where I see people really struggle because it feels like such a setback and a frustration and, and it really starts to impact uh, people overall. So again, I, I just think of those baby steps. I mean, if you haven't run for 10 years, probably start with a mile, start with walking a mile, <laughs> jogging a half mile walking a half mile, uh, jogging another half mile, and, and just ease into it. So I think it, it comes back to those baby steps and, and really, you know, being patient because the body takes time to make changes. There's a principle that uh, we talk about in exercise science called the SED principle, specific adaptation to impose demands. And so it's those small changes over time on a consistent basis that end up leading to the body being able to handle more load, handle more stress. And, um, and so that, I think that's a really important thing for people to, to remember that concept. Yeah. It's, it's so tempting to just want to jump in with both feet, but uh, slow and steady. It's a good word. You know, uh, when I teach on meditation, I, I, I use marathon as an example. Uh, I go, look, if you've never meditated before, don't even try five minutes because you'll go, I hate this. Five minutes feels like an hour. My mind is racing all over the place. I go, start with three minutes. Be gentle on yourself. Don't worry. When your mind wanders, come back. And maybe after a week or two, three minutes become four. Four become five. Pretty soon, you're at 12, 15 minutes, and you're noticing things. Oh, I'm more present in conversations. Oh, my stress level is down. Oh, I'm more secure in my identity in Christ. Oh. Uh, scriptures come to mind more easily for specific situations because I've been meditating on these identity truths, whatever. But it's just like running a marathon. You can't start with 15 minutes. It's impossible. You have to start with three minutes and build up. So I, I think that specific adaptation demand principle applies spiritually as well as physically, but it applies. Kevin, I want to thank you for the conversation. It's rich. Um, and for people who want more from Kevin in his bio, there are links to Vimosity. And um, so I just, uh, again, thank you for taking the time for this. And my hope and prayer is that those listening would all find a single next step to take to uh, move toward body stewardship. I know for me, I'm going to re-engage in foam rolling on my around my knee and my calf as a result of this conversation. So thank you. Richard, it was an absolute pleasure. And I'm just so grateful that these type of conversations are happening and um yeah it would be happy to be a resource to, to anyone who wants to explore some of this further uh, so thank you very much all right well listen everybody thanks so much for joining us today toward wholeness podcast and until next time uh we wish you the best that you would prosper in spirit soul and body see you next time bye-bye